Bandwidth for Erotic Awakening is provided by Galleria Domain 2, a nonprofit membership club at Chicago, Illinois. GD2 boasts a 4,000 plus square foot play space with three rooms of unique and interesting BDSM furniture, two social areas, and a library. The Kinky Drawing Club, Defense Without Offense, Gagorama, and the LGBTQ Meet and Greet are just some of the things coming up at GBT at GD at GDD GDD at GD2. Galleriedomain.net. Welcome to Erotic Awakening, an exploration of all things erotic. Every Thursday, your hosts, Dan and Dawn, share with you their experience and insights on kink, power exchange, and erotic life, as well as bring you interviews with exciting people from various lifestyles. Then every Monday, you'll hear from our various guest hosts. These nationally known educators bring a variety of experience to the mics and share with you an ever-increasing diverse world of alternative life. Erotic Awakening is intended for mature audiences. If you are offended by adult topics or prohibited by law, we recommend you stop listening right now. Don. Hi, Dan. What are we talking about today? We're probably talking about a bunch of little different things, and then we've got a poly interview at the end, but uh, this is a quickie, because... The car's packed again. (laughs) (laughs) As you might have heard in our uh, front front bump, uh, we are on our way to Galleria Domain, Mm -hmm. also known as GD2, in the Chicago, Illinois. It's about a six-hour car ride for us. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know why we're getting started a whole day early, but that's okay. Because we can. Because we can. Because we can. And that way we can... uh, We're we're so used to rushing that um, we're going to take a leisurely drive and... Maybe play the tourist when we get there, which we hardly ever do. Because, mm-hmm. well, indeed, hey, I, I was supposed to say that. Okay. No. Oh, I stole it from you. <laughs> but um, we're also going to try to check out the uh, Leather Archives and Museum when we're there. We mm-hmm. keep talking about it, and just don't have the time when we go for a full weekend event. So maybe since we're only presenting tomorrow night, we can get there early enough to go check out the museum. Yep, and we will be presenting a poly. Paperwork, yes, which is a uh, a form or a discussion about different kind of agreements and contracts that you can have in your polyamorous relationships. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned later in the show, we'll be speaking with a couple of our local polyamory leaders, uh, Polly Anna and Karen, who run the Poly Columbus group, as well as were guest speakers with you and I at the local university, talking yes. to a bunch of college kids. So that was our uh, third time on a poly panel at the uh, college. And uh, this one was actually pretty awesome. I mean, they've all been awesome, but this one, this third class had a lot of great questions and someone actually spoke up and said, hey, my brother identifies as Polly, mm-hmm. you know, so had some good questions. Yeah, that was kind of neat. So that was kind of neat. And, and yeah, so good stuff. Good stuff. I do want to mention before we get there, though, that the ringtone that uh, someone took <laughs> from you being uh, beaten on one of the podcasts continues to make its way around the world. Oh I kink, God. therefore I am, has picked up the tweet trail and has further expanded it out to the Twitterverse. So on cell phones around the world. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, I'm going to end up being to the grocery store and hearing myself on somebody. 
Kelly's ringtone. You can get that ringtone by heading over to the Erotic Awakening website and look for the ringtone tag, and that will take you to your own copy of it, suitable for Droid, iPhone, and even Windows 7. Wow. Infamous. (laughs) Uh, Other than that, I noticed that... um, you have a note here that apparently we participated in a, ninky, a kinky or naughty office space uh-huh. studio session. Are you sure we haven't talked about that already? That I'm was a couple positive. weeks ago. Now. I know it was, but we ran out of time and and just forgot to talk about it. But we had a, uh, I know I've talked about this new space that we have, and uh, we used it for a photo shoot. And it was a naughty photo shoot, and there was probably, what, 25 people there with two photography uh, stations set up. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they did was they moved my office desk over to one of the photo stations. And my office desk doesn't have, like, a backing, like where your knees go. It's it's fully open. So the way they had it in the room, you could see under the desk. And I've always had this fantasy about giving you a blowjob under your desk at work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they took some pictures of me under the desk and we uh, put some nice high-heeled shoes on me and lifted up my skirt so just my lacy panties were showing and you sat behind the desk in your business suit and we proceeded to take pictures or they proceeded to take pictures. We just posed. If only there was a way that I could go see those pictures. Oh, if only there was a way. You could probably just <laughs> head over to the old FetLife and look for Dan Zarani, which is your account, and it's find those account. pictures there. Yes. Uh, you could also go to FetLife and friend Change to Witter, which is my account, CHG, the number two, the word winter. If you are so opposed, opposed. So inclined, disposed, inclined. Or disposed, yes. <laughs> you can also join the Erotic Awakening FetLife group, uh, also known as the FetLife group for the Erotic Awakening podcast. I think I said that backwards. <laughs> but we have posted some of the pictures, and one of them, you can almost see it. You can see your hand on the back of my head. If you look close. <laughs> it's so hot. And one of them, you've got an O face. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, oh, and those yes. pictures show your your new haircut. Yes, they do. I know we've talked about it, but yeah, they show your new haircut. They do indeed, or the lack of hair that I currently have. <laughs> um, we do have a question of the day, and this is along the, um, you know, now this is a power exchange, was presented in a power exchange perspective. Yes. But I think it actually it has some validity for non-power exchange people as well. But And you can figure I'm that sure. one out. Mm-hmm. And the question is... Um, how do you argue when you're, you're in a power exchange relationship? Part of the aspects of that relationship that I think are important are in, in any relationship are that you have respect for each other, right? right. That you look at each other with a level of uh, you treat each other with a level of dignity, a mm-hmm. level of graciousness, even when you argue. True, true. And but I know um, media and whatever or family examples or stuff like that kind of make us forget that we can argue with respect and dignity. Mm-hmm. So in relationships I'm aware of that are not power exchange relationships, that can be a harder element to incorporate into your arguing. And with power exchange relationships, you've got the power exchange. So sometimes you can still forget. And, and that feels really awful when you're arguing with your master. You know, that's not a place I want to go, but sometimes I have to have my voice heard. So how do you do that? I mean, if you're 
many of us have rules that we're not allowed to argue. You know, we're not allowed to raise our voices. Mm-hmm. You know, things like that. There, there's, there's certain protocols in each relationship that could stymie a argument, good or bad. So I know for us... We started out with vanilla protocol, <laughs> and though neither one of us wanted to go that route when it felt like it was going to become an argument, we had tried our other hmm, lack of communication skills, <laughs> which didn't work out, and neither one of us were satisfied. So, One of the things that we do in a um, pre-argument, right, mm-hmm. when you're just not being heard, you're not able to communicate, there's a couple of tools that we'll use on the way to the argument, right? That there hopefully will set, prevent the argument from happening. Mm-hmm. We should mention those really quickly. For example, you and I will, um, even if we're in the same house, we'll write instant message each other. Right. Um, we'll make an effort to get out of whatever space we're in and go to a different space, physical mm-hmm. location, Absolutely. to have a conversation. Um, yeah, because I much prefer the vocal much prefer the I, I do I mm-hmm. prefer the vocal I mean if I have to use the written word that's fine because you can um, craft it and recraft it and then decide if you even want to send it and sometimes crafting it gets it worked out in your own head to where you don't even need to send it so you know that works sometimes but I, I like the vocal as well when I get to that point but I think what we wanted to focus on today was something that we call uh, porch time yes so, and porch time's what we designed when um, when the other interactions weren't working. So sometimes the the instant messenger works, sometimes the emails work, sometimes the getting out of the space, you know, just changing up that energy works. You know, you might have a couple of other different um, tricks up your sleeve that work. But for us, we had to use porch time at the beginning. And what porch time does is gives us a neutral space. Like I said, we don't use it that much anymore because our communication skills are a whole lot better. But at the beginning, we were still learning how to communicate within a power exchange and sometimes just couldn't do it. So we had a two-bedroom apartment and two kids and a cat and (laughs) no place to really talk to each other. So we had this little porch and we would tell the kids, we're going out on the porch, knock if you want to come outside and... Therefore, it started being called porch time. So we could tell them we're getting ready to go out on the porch, have porch time. We'll be back in a few. And the idea of porch time is that when you go out on the porch, you get to uh, express yourself in any way that you need to express yourself. So all the titles and all the hierarchy and all the rules of the relationship get set aside. And you get the opportunity to express yourself as an emotional or as... Uh, screaming or crying or cussing or foot stompy, whatever it is that you want to do that you need to express how it is that you want to communicate and how um, and it really gives you a lot of freedom to let the emotional you know the the stuff in the pit of the stomach just vomit out Mm -hmm. and um, and express itself because some of the times what we'll find is that when we have a um a hierarchical relationship, like a power exchange relationship, that it can be difficult for either, you know, for a master or a a leader in that relationship to be vulnerable 
or for the uh, the lowercase type to speak their mind in a way that may come out to be very insulting or degrading, but still, you know, allow them to get that out and speak it without without paying a price for it later. Right, and that was the thing is is um, neither one of us were going to have to pay for a penalty later, and. I know some people don't understand this concept because we're in a power exchange relationship, but we knew when we, we knew we still loved each other. We knew we still had respect for each other. We knew we still wanted to live in the hierarchical um, positions that we had agreed to for this relationship, but there was also a communication meltdown. So going out on porch time, we understood that we wanted to keep making the relationship work, and this was the only way... This was the last resort. And basically, that's what it was, was the last resort after everything else had been used. And we used it sparingly. I mean, I can't even remember the last time we've used it, but the opportunity is still there. And even at the beginning, I bet you, what do you think, maybe five times? Oh, I don't know, but but it's certainly you're right. It's not something that we use a ton, and it's also but it's very effective when we do use it. Mm-hmm. And anybody that we're bringing into our power exchange relationships, we give them that opportunity as well, so that they can use porch time. The the only trick is is you have to announce it before you use it, right? <laughs> so, and actually, the kids started seeing how we were resolving some of our issues that way, you know? They would see the little passive-aggressive stuff start, and then they would see us go, wait, we need porch time. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. And they actually learned that they could do that with us, too. Mm -hmm. So that they could take us outside. Mom, I'm declaring porch time. And the trick was no repercussions. So they could tell me anything. And did. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how we handle arguments. If you have an opinion about how you handle an argument or how you would like to, uh, other questions of the day or other stuff you'd like to talk about, you can get a hold of us in a variety of ways, such as Dan and Dawn at eroticawakening.com. Yes, or at, um, good gosh, there's so many places. Uh, Oh, do you know what's just really popular right now is the Got Comment form. So the comment form on the website, which is eroticawakening.com. <laughs> you can find other ways to contact us as well as we'll, where we will be presenting past podcast episodes and other kinds of, of stuff also at said eroticawakening.com. Yes. What you will not find is the latest tentacle pics from Gretchen that you received. <laughs> oh my God, they were hot. So, oh, 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 guess what I did over the weekend? What? Speaking of tentacle sex. Yes, yes. Um, went to Kinko de Mayo. Oh, you did indeed. I did. And guess who I met? Guess who I saw? Guess who, who did, I spent I, time I, with? I don't know. I don't know. Nalen. Oh, yes. So, That's right. yeah. So, Nalen is the one that we did the episode on, on how to create scenes. Mm-hmm. And he came up with the, the different ideas of what to do with tentacle sex and why I like tentacle sex. And I got to sit down and spend some time with him and Lolita. And they actually had me try on a tutu. Both of them had me stand in front of the mirror with this tutu on. <laughs> it was cute. And? Okay, so you liked it. I liked it. I don't know if it's my style. And Lolita even said that. She goes, whoa, that's a different look for you. Because <laughs> she's used to me in my leathers. Yes. 
So, but it was fantastic. I, we didn't even put that on the notes and I'm sitting here like all excited. I, I got know. to spend time with Master Z and Master Griffin and Slave Anne and Coral Mallow and... Oh, you spent some time oh, with I Coral Mallow. I spent some Mallow. time with Coral Mallow. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I, I've still got the marks to prove that, though you double layered those. <laughs> <laughs> I now have marks from Coral and marks from Master Dan on top of them. <laughs> Yay. So, but that was a good time. So the tentacle, and I actually um, got a copy of one of the tentacle picks while I was at Kinko. So I was able to show it around. That was cool. <laughs> very neat, very neat. Uh, one of the other things that we should mention that you could do on the uh, EA web page is to scroll all the way back to old episodes to make uh, comments. For example, wow. somebody named Vibrator went back to EAO63. That'd be one third of the way that we are now. I was going to say, yeah. And commented that they believe that masochism is a lifestyle choice and uh, it can't be helped if that's what turns people on. Mm-hmm. It's just neat that somebody went back in time to that or listening. And, and I hate it when people say, oh, I'm going to listen to them all from the beginning. Right. I much prefer you listen to them from now backwards because right. the audio quality, as we've mentioned before, not so hot in the beginning. Not so hot in the beginning. And we were still learning. And, you know, and I think at the beginning, the power exchange dynamic was really tough for me to speak up and interrupt. And, you know, now I have no problem. Yes, now you have no problem. <laughs> um, other than that, I, I, not too much else we're going to go on to before we get into our uh, interview. I do want to shout out to uh, this crazy dame from Florida uh-huh. who says that we are both hot and awesome. And uh, upon replying to her, I asked for some clarification, and she did say, well, Dan, you are hot, as well as. But she also loves Barak and Sheba and Lee Harrington as well. Cool. Oh, so I got left out. No, she said you're hot, too. And, of course, (laughs) loves your giggle. Oh, so the giggle. Oh, I'm clicking things here. And then Mercury Blue um, contacted us. One of the greatest comments ever. I loved it. Said that they were just farting glitter. So I just wanted to know that they really loved us and Barak and Sheba and Lee Harrington. And yeah, so I just wanted to let us know that they were listening. And just farting glitter. Just farting glitter. Which in my understanding is a good thing. I I, I would think it's a good thing. Now, we also had on the contact form on Boy Henry. And Boy Henry said that he came out to his wife, that he listened to our podcast about how to come out to your vanilla partner, and he came out to his wife, and everything's going great. So I actually wrote Boy Henry back and asked if uh, he would be willing to come out to the podcast and be on the podcast and talk about that experience. Anybody else who has come out to their partner, and whether it went well or not. I would like mm-hmm. to hear from you as well. That would be wonderful stuff to have on the podcast. It would. You and I actually started off in the lifestyle equally together, so there's mm-hmm. no coming out possibility uh, to our partner. And anyone that I get engaged with or involved with or that you get involved with, they understand who we are to start right with, off right? Right the, the beginning, so, yeah. So we don't have a lot of experience with this whole coming out to our partner thing. Well, but... Um, Wait, we do? I'm, I'm thinking of the ex-husband. Me and yeah, the ex-husband. So, yeah, so we'll yeah, say that. was a little bit. Yeah. So um, I want other people's experiences. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, again, you could use that um, Dan and Dawn at eroticawakening.com to do that. Or the contact form. Yay. And uh, what else you got? Guess what else is coming up in a couple of weeks? What's that? <laughs> 
the Power Exchange Summit. I hadn't noticed. I wasn't paying attention. You weren't paying attention? Right. <laughs> We've been working on it every day. So, but uh, going to have a great time with that. That's turning out to, it, everything's like falling into place and it's going to be a great time. Yeah, we've got uh, about 19 days before that goes live. We do. Um, you, know, I, you know, I've been thinking about this for a while. We are to the point where I don't think this thing is going to cost us money. So we're going to offer. Yay. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so we do have a hardship package available uh two tickets to the event plus hotel room um for uh, a flat hundred bucks and that is the intent the now the intent behind that is this is a hardship situation it cost don and i money this deal yes. right we're gonna have to give them the hotel room itself and all that kind of jazz so it's not um Intended for people that can pay their own way. This is for people that they're interested in power exchange relationships or they live in a power exchange relationship, but due to the financial difficulties of the world right now, they just can't afford to stay at the hotel for two nights plus pay for two tickets plus Mm -hmm. eat and stuff like that. So um, we've scraped off uh, a bit of the profit, which... (laughs) <laughs> and we're giving it back to you. Um, it's still going to cost you a hundred bucks because we we simply can't afford to pay your your way the whole way through. But um, hundred bucks, two hotel nights, two tickets to the event, mm-hmm. with the idea that it's a hardship, and just toss us an email to that same email address we've said nine times already. Yes, a little bit of an explanation of why uh, the financial times are not good for you and why this would is the only way you'll ab- be able to attend. So. Sounds good. And what you'll be getting is two nights of entertainment, 17 presenters, Mm -hmm. at least two roundtables. I Mm -hmm. think we're throwing around a third roundtable idea. We've got uh, a recovery in the lifestyle meeting. We've got mast regional Mm -hmm. meeting. The the TNG meeting is interesting to me. There's over 30 people registered for the event that fit the TNG, which is a shift in the Mm master-slave power exchange dynamic over the last 10 years that you and I have been involved. Right. Um, And I tell you, it just goes on and on, the stuff Mm -hmm. that we're going to have going on. The Pamporium. Yeah, so what is a Dom Pamporium? Well, this is where we have some staff members and some volunteers that are going to be setting up space where it's going to be all about service. So, I mean, the whole event, you can do service, but this one is specific. So there'll be um, station, there'll be belly dancers, you know, people belly dancing for their, their masters, doms, or whatever the uppercase letter is. There'll be little um, drinks being served and little, you know, little snacks and just things like that. So shoulder rubs, hands and rubs, all that good stuff. So. Kind of a service-oriented thingy there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cool. So, and so far, some of the attendees are already speaking up that they want to participate. So, mm-hmm. yay. So, it's going to be fun. Other than that, the only thing I should mention is... Erotic Awakening is sponsored in part by Adventures in Sexuality, Central Ohio's Kinky Fun Group. Coming up next at AIS... Central Ohio Rope Group this Sunday, May 13th, 2012. Join AISCORG in Columbus, Ohio for the Fantastic Rope Group. And that's all I got to say about that. You can find out more at adventuresinsexuality.org. Yay!
So, Don, here we are in the, uh, we're actually, we're a little mobile today. We are. We are uh, traveling to do an interview because earlier today we were at the, at a college mm -hmm. near where we live and boy, college students are hot. They are. They are pretty hot, <laughs> but fortunately for me, I had both you and my other Polly partner, Karen, mm -hmm. there to keep an eye on us. Uh-huh. And along with uh, Pollyanna from the Looking Through Us website, the four of us presented on polyamory topics to the, uh, what, 30, 40, 50 students that were there? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. yeah, it was a big, was a big room. So. so, Pollyanna, Karen, thank you for joining the podcast today. We wanted to talk a little bit about polyamory. I understand that not only did you guys present to student unions like you did today, but also you run a local poly support group. We do. We do. So what is polyamory? Does that mean wild sex for everyone? Sometimes. It could. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the purest definition is many loves. Right. And beyond that, it would take hours to define polyamory. Right. And like I was telling the students today, it's one flavor of non-monogamy. So it's not the opposite of monogamy. It's not the only way to be non-monogamous, but it's one way to be non-monogamous. How do you get started? How do I get started? I'm a podcast listener. I'm like, oh, this polyamory thing. Boy, it sure sounds like who I am. How do I get started to be a polyamorous person? G-O-O-G-L-E. Google. Google. <laughs> <laughs> I did all serious research and, yeah. and talk to people and I think that works for so long and at some point you kind of just have to dip your toe in and see it, it, it's so hard to define poly for any person that they have to define it for themselves but certainly start from a point of research and finding out what's already out there read see if it resonates it's a great book by Tristan Terramino called opening up that'd be a great thing to read um, and just start talking to real people who are living it as a lifestyle and you're going to get 50 billion different responses as to how they're living it if any of them speak to you if you're single, start exploring. If you're in a couple, have conversations. Well, now, hold on. Now, how do I do that? Because that's really, I, let's say I'm already in a relationship and I recognize that I am polyamorous. Or because I've, I've read, I've Googled it and I've read the book. How do I approach my partner and have that with, conversation? Like with any big decision. I mean, I think in relationships we make big decisions all the time. I mean, we buy cars, we rent houses, we buy houses, we go on vacation, we, you know, we think about changing careers. Careers. I mean, all of these are big conversations, and I don't understand why in our culture we can talk about buying that car, or we can talk about changing careers, or we can talk about, um, you know, dealing with our parents if they're ill or whatever, or we make big decisions for our kids all the time. But when it comes to making big decisions about our relationships and how we want to structure our relationships, it's like cat has your tongue and nobody knows how to talk about it, and it's just another conversation. It's not... Um, you know, it's not rocket science exactly. And I think there's lots of tools out there, you know, in, in books or in your research that can help you talk about that. I know in Tristan's book, there's a lot of great role play or different examples mm -hmm. of how you might approach those conversations. You know, I think another book by, there's a book by Wendy Omatic about polyamory and it's really short. I think it's really easy to talk about. Um, and I think it's, it's, 
more about polyamory than anything else. I think in some of Tristan's work, she's talking about other right, aspects right. of alternative lifestyles, which might not be germane to your, your situation. And I think you just have to have that conversation. It's like any other big conversation. It's probably going to be way worse in your head than it is in actual practice. And the worst that can happen is they say no, you know, and then you, then you have to make some decisions. <clears throat> and I mean, that's not at all different than my situation. So my situation was, you know, my husband came to me and said, you know what, there's this girl at work and she's really cute. And I, you know, I have a good energy with her and I want to see what's happening. And my response was, um, okay, I'll get back to you, you know, and I thought about it. And then I was really lucky to have a good friend from college who was a sexuality educator. And it just happened that I was going to be visiting her and we had this conversation and she said, well, you know, you've got three choices and you already know which choice you need to make if you want to have this relationship continue um, in a healthy way. And I'm like, okay, well, lay the choices on me anyway. You know, she's like, wait, tell him no. And he resents you forever, you know, because you wouldn't allow him to explore this thing. I mean, if it was important enough for him to come to you and be honest and you say no, I mean, are you prepared to live with that? That possible resentment? And she goes, or you tell him no and he does it anyway. And we both know how you feel about that. And then, you know, she's like, but the real choice is you say yes and you see what happens because, you know, the only thing you can do is say, okay, I love you enough and I trust you and you were trusting enough of me to give, you know, to give me your truth and, and be honest. So that's what you do. Right. But in that, I can see why that conversation would be scary though, because mm -hmm. I'm sitting here thinking of the car analogy. Mm -hmm. If you are discussing a car and you really want a Buick, and the other person says no, then you go by a whatever. <laughs> With this conversation, it can be because it involves love and lust and sex and relationships and all that other type of, of landmine stuff. I can see where it's a little difficult. It is, but, but I think we still, I mean, you have the skills to have difficult right. conversations, I think. And I mean, you're right. I mean, there's a lot more at stake, but there's a lot at stake if you don't have right. the conversation, particularly if, you know, like Dan said, you've done your individual research mm -hmm. and and now you you feel that this is where you are. I mean, there's a huge there's a huge negative to not having the conversation. Absolutely. And the other thing I wanted to throw in was um, like with the support group, find people that are like Karen said that are actually living it. It's easy to find armchair theorist of how it should be. And usually they will start it with, well, if I was in that situation, it would be like this. So actually talk to people that are living it. And I think that's the great thing. So <clears throat> we actually had been exploring non-monogamy for quite a while, and we hadn't even considered polyamory as a title for what we were up to. And, and we really did feel like we were probably the only people around doing this. And... I actually, after my husband's experience had ended and we were moving along and had decided, well, we're not going to go back to being monogamous because we're not, so that would be silly. Um, but then, well, what are we was sort of a question that we struggled to answer. And I was involved with someone and I woke up one morning and I'm like, okay, I'm in love with my husband, madly so, don't feel any different about him. And oh my God, I'm in love with this other person. And um, that, okay, no one, you know, bothered to mention that that might be a possibility. And I had to go looking for a word to describe that. And that's when I found polyamory. And then there were a lot of bumps in the road. And that's what led us to Poly Columbus was um, 
we need to meet some people who are also doing this. And, and it was really helpful to walk into a room of people who are just your normal everyday people and this is what they're doing. And then you can hear about, you're not the only person struggling, you're not the only person confused, you're not the only person who doesn't know how to do it. So what, what are some of the, if I go to one of these poly Columbus or any poly support group or poly social occasions, what's some of the key terminology I need to know so I won't be lost in the conversations as we get going? know that there's key terminology that someone would need to know before they go. I mean, there's certainly a lot of terminology out there, but again, everyone defines it so differently that I would almost caution someone against getting so caught up in the terminology before they even have determined when, if, or how they want to live this lifestyle. Because I think um, it, it could actually almost to not go in with any preconceived <laughs> definitions and ideas, but go in and hear people's experiences, terms come up that you're unfamiliar with, look them up, see ask. what they are, ask people's definitions, see if that definition works for you, put it on if it does, if it doesn't, find a different one. But um, again, everyone defines, I mean, even just poly is defined differently by everyone. So, you know, having the terms, you know, you'll hear things like, primary and secondary and triad and quad and polyamory, polyfidelity, and, and they're helpful terms to have an understanding of what they are. And there's certainly definitions out there, but it may not be the only definition. Or I think be prepared for most, most I would think most poly groups that I've read about or heard of you know, operate in a similar way. There's probably a actual meeting time and then some time for social, or maybe they alternate. And so one month is a social, one month is a topic discussion. And I mean, I think typical topics that you see discussed are, you know, relationship dynamics, um, financial, you know, how you deal with the finances, jealousy, envy, compersion. I think time management is a hot one. I think communication. Safe sex. Safer sex, right. So, I mean, I think you <clears throat> I think you probably will run into those types of topics when you go to a, a support group or a, a meeting of poly people. Those are typically the kind of things that they're talking about. And, and speaking of which, you just mentioned a good one. How did you outgrow jealousy? I did it. <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> yeah. It's I a think, continual journey. I think you learn to deal with it. I think um, I think what was really helpful for me is I wrote for the website looking through us that we had a, a, a reader question and it was, you know, can you explain to me the difference between jealousy and envy? And I was like, sure. Oh no, I don't know. No, I can't. So I had to do some reading and it was actually really useful for me to come to terms with those two words and what they mean and how they work and what they likely mean. And I think for me, jealousy is always, always, always grounded in fear. Now, I don't think that's the truth for everyone, but for me, what I noticed when I was reading and writing that piece on jealousy and envy is for me, jealousy is 100% grounded in fear. And that was a really useful connection to make because now when I feel those feelings of jealousy, I can stop myself and I can say, okay, you're feeling jealous. What are you afraid of? And then that, you know, it's useful then for me. And I think the key conversation, whether it's a conversation with yourself, which is the most important one to have first, and then the conversation with any partners in your life that are affected, I, I think it's less about finding the right answer and more about the dialogue and the conversation itself to understand the feelings, the thoughts, the concerns, the jealousies, the issues. And many of those things 
at least for me personally, I had no idea what they were going to be until I started living it and experiencing them. And I think there's things you can do to, to prep yourself or to try and, and, um, and minimize impact or, you know, quest, you can set boundaries, you can set rules, you can set guidelines. And at some point you kind of have to just say go. <laughs> and then you really find out what, what the boundaries are gonna be. And I know when, when my ex-husband and I first started, the things that I thought were gonna be okay weren't. And many of the things that I thought weren't gonna be okay were fine. And until I actually experienced it, I didn't really know. And then that's when that conversation and dialogue becomes extra important as to, okay, now how do we work our way through it? What's the journey? What's the path? Um, and I think it's different for every relationship that you're in. So I have some hurdles in one relationship that I don't necessarily have in another. So I may have it all figured out with partner A, and then partner B comes along, and it changes the game for everybody sometimes. Oh, so, Like the triggers for me with my husband are completely different than with my other partner. I mean, it, it, they're, they're just night and day sometimes. And I think it has to do with obviously just the relationship dynamics but also I think how long you've been in that relationship I mean how comfortable you are and, and how many times you've maybe tackled tough issues with that partner or, or whatever but then I think you know yeah you never know I mean the thing is it's <clears throat> you don't know until you try and then sometimes when you're trying you don't know what you're going to find and then if you don't know what you're going to find you're just going to have to be prepared for whatever and you just have to address it well, what do you mean by triggers like, I think they're just different things that rub you the wrong way, or they're just different situations that make you uncomfortable, or, you know, make you, I like to say, emotionally squeamish, you know, like, whoa, that does not feel good, you mm -hmm. know, and, and I think um, maybe there's even different communication patterns or whatever that you get into with various partners, and then you're like, whoa, okay, this is just not productive, this is not feeling good, and so... Um, how do you work through that? But I think it, like, it triggers an emotional response, like, or you, you know, something makes you emotionally squeamish. And then once you identify what emotion you're feeling, how do you avoid repeating that? I think that's how, what happens in relationships is we tend to repeat patterns until we address them, right? And so you keep pushing that same button, you keep having the same response. Obviously, there's that's you should stop and say, okay, wait a minute, how can we not do that again? Mm -hmm. So, Karen, I understand you have a relationship with a guy named, we'll call C, who was on the podcast many years, months ago, long time ago, and you have a relationship with somebody we'll call D, who has also been on the podcast far more recently. <laughs> do you have a different set of rules for each relationship, or do you have any rules in your relationships? Well, A, I don't like to call them rules, <laughs> but um, yeah, we do have different sets of agreements, so... Partner D <laughs> and I have, have you know had a, a um, commitment ceremony. We have a different set of I don't know communication guidelines. I guess we'll call them. Um, partner C and I, other than safer sex guidelines, don't really have anything. But it's a it's a different dynamic, and whether it's fair or not fair or right or wrong, it's just different. Um, and when I was married, I had a different set of guidelines and, and reactions and, and things there, too. Um, I think it's natural that each now, hopefully, those aren't too much in conflict with each other. You know, they've, everyone's still got to try and find a way to at least um, be able to coexist within that when there's multiple partners. But um, 
they are. They're different for yeah. me. And I'm the same way. I have a completely different set of guidelines with my husband as I do with, we'll call my partner L. <laughs> um, I, um, L and I's guidelines are written down um, and we revisit them on a somewhat regular basis. Do we need to change? Do we need to tweak? Are we still comfortable? Um, that relationship has evolved greatly in the last year. So <clears throat> I think that has changed how we interact about those guidelines. And I think it just depends on the circumstances of the parties involved. I mean, I think some people want to know more, so you're going to have more touch points in those type of agreements and more communication hurdles as different relationships progress. And other people want to know less. So my husband, he doesn't really want to know the gory details or he doesn't want to belabor those kind of things. He just wants a general broad overview, whereas L, on the other hand, wants to be right in there with me at every step. And it, it's whatever works. I mean, for me, I don't have a problem that they have different levels of communication needs or desires. I wouldn't have agreed to them if I didn't want to, and I'm perfectly comfortable with, with either. Are you both currently looking? Do you consider yourself, you know, ready, waiting for that next relationship? Because I think some people think of polyamorous people as always on the prowl, always on the hunt, always wanting to add something else to the mix because they crave that new relationship energy. And both of you have been in relationships long enough now, I, I assume. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I guess that the new relationship energy, for the most part, has relaxed, died down a little bit, and it's now more of a... I don't want to call it maintenance. Not maintenance, yeah. yeah but uh, just more it's mature. Life. It's mature. mature. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's the first time I've ever been called mature. So, to the podcast listener from who wrote in and gave us one star on the podcast saying we're not mature, go fuck yourself. I, I, I would say personally, I'm not looking. I try to remain open because I find that I very easily close myself off to things just because. I don't feel I don't feel like there's stuff missing in my in my life, um, which is not, by the way, indicating that I think to have a poly relationship something needs to be missing. For me, I feel very full, and and um, but again, I never know when that. I mean, I wasn't expecting to find Dan when Dan came into my life. You know, I wasn't expecting to find C when C came into my. I was probably at a very open stage when C came into my life, more so than I had been at other stages, but because um, I do think you know when you're closed off, people aren't going to come into your life, but actively looking, no. I mean, I just, A, I have little patience for that. <laughs> B, I'm really picky, and I don't think it happens that way. I think people just kind of come in. For me, for some people, that works really well, and they have a continual stream of new people coming into their life but um yeah i'm i, I have been in the last um year year and a half um actively discouraging um, um and, and not because i mean not because i'm not interested it was really a matter of practicality i've written about it on looking through us um i had a parent who was in the process of dying and that's just not the time to be adding to the mix nor did i really have the emotional energy or time to add to the mix um, I haven't started looking. I'm not looking, but I am certainly um, not as actively discouraging as I was. And um, there's a certain type of relationship that I might actually actively encourage if it came along. But I'm not like out there looking or anything like that. I, I don't really have the time. And I'm like, 
I'm like, Karen, I don't have the patience for online stuff anymore. There was a time when I was actively looking and I had myself out there and I was willing to date and I was willing to slog through coffee and I was willing to sort of go through all that. You know, dating can be exciting and fun. Dating can be exhausting. And so I'm really not like I'm, I feel full. I think that's a good, a good, a good way to put it. I feel very comfortable with what I've got, but I'm certainly, if you had asked a year ago, I would have said, there's no way I'm not adding the doors closed. We're not interested today. I would say I'm much more open to whatever comes along. How about you? (laughs) I am much like yourself in a, um, I've been told that I'm somewhat of a flirtatious person. And (laughs) I have never heard that. Um, I am open to flirting, very much open to flirting, very worried about the amount of time that I have and starting new relationships. That's the big conversation, right? Here's how much time I have left already. So you would have a very small slice of this time. I described it recently as I don't get to eat at the Indonesian restaurant. We don't have an Indonesian restaurant in Columbus, so I never eat at the Indonesian restaurant. If, by chance, I passed an Indonesian restaurant, I would want to stop in and eat, but I wouldn't want to live in the Indonesian restaurant. <laughs> this probably isn't coming out very well. No, I, I assumed out. you were going to say that if you saw an Indonesian, <laughs> you would have to eat in Indonesian. So, so you know, I, for myself, um, I think I'm, I'm open emotionally, energetically, I'm open to whatever happens to float into my scope. And then once it's there, I go, oh, this is wonderful and pretty. And then the logistics and the reality have to be matched against that because um, uh, regardless of what the, the uh, song writers say, love is not enough. You know, right. I, there's other parts of life that have to be accounted for. And if something comes into your life that's worthy of cherishing, then you have to be able to cherish that fully. And that includes investments of emotion, investments of time, investments of energy. So, you know, I hate to say that I'm not open to new relationships, but I also can't imagine how I would fit in a new relationship. I mean, I would have to stop Oh, I don't know. Working? <laughs> Sleeping? <laughs> so. well, Any I other think, numerous projects? I yeah. think that's one thing that really leads to a positive poly experience is being self-aware. Like, I think you can't, you, you cannot succeed. I'm going to be a little judgmental. I don't think you can succeed in a poly relationship or lifestyle or any relationship for that matter. I think to have maximum success, you have to invest some time in being self-aware. I, I, I definitely think in all relationships, be that with your you know, with your work colleagues, with your poly partners, with your monogamous partner, with your kids, whatever, to have successful relationship experiences, I think you have to be self-aware. So I like to think I'm self-aware enough to know that I just don't have, like, I don't bring a lot to the table in another Mm -hmm. big commitment relationship. Like, I don't have it to give. So it would be really disingenuous to encourage someone to come into that kind of situation knowing that I can't deliver. Like, Mm -hmm. I can't. And if I were to be able to deliver, something else in my life is going to suffer, and I don't want to do that either. So I think being self-aware is really important. So, and And that's the balance, because I go through phases, 
and sometimes I'm looking, it's, it's like, okay, I have a little bit, a little bit of spare time in my life. Maybe there's, I'll just put myself out there. And that takes up too much time and I'm very picky as well. So, you know, every once in a while, I'll give it a little nibble. And, but yeah, so full and so busy. I, I mean, like I went to the event over the weekend, mm-hmm. found a couple of people to have a, hmm, how do you even describe that? I almost, sent, I almost said playtime, intimate time, fun time. Yeah, so I found a couple of people to connect <laughs> with. There we go, over the weekend. And you know, and that was really, really great. But it ended up being people that I've known for years and years and years. I mean, I'm really picky. I don't usually just jump right in. Well, and I think so, that's, that's a beauty of being poly is that you're open to change of experience. So mm-hmm. like, I like to say I don't go into it looking for anything in particular, and I'm not open to just anything in particular. But I kind of like to see what energy is there. And it's not uncommon for, you know, a casual acquaintance to move into more of a friendship, Mm -hmm. to move into more of a closer friend. And then who knows what will happen. So for me, I made this intellectual and emotional decision that if I let you get close, I'm not going to pigeonhole you. So if I let you get close enough to kind of see the real Pollyanna and get to know her and if you'll still stick around... um, you know, that I'm willing to see where the energy, where the emotion takes me, which is another reason I think a year and a half or so ago, I kind of closed off altogether because I didn't want to risk hurting anyone by letting them in and letting them get close and then being like, I can't deal. You know, that's mm-hmm. not good. No, we're casual acquaintances. <laughs> I think we're more than slightly casual. Oh, okay. So there's a path. Yeah. I know the BFF rule. Never yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> there's no path. <laughs> Um, All right, so both of you have at some points practiced the monogamy. Correct. All right, so one more question, if you don't mind. Would you ever go back? No. I don't know. I mean, I think um, I would not say it's fair to say that I identified as monogamous. I was practicing a monogamous lifestyle. I don't think the longer I've spent with myself and in the poly community, I don't think I was ever really monogamous. I think I made a choice. And I think for me, culturally, it was a time in my life where um, being a grown-up, quote-unquote, was getting married and having that sort of thing happen. And so I did. But you know, I preface that whole relationship with my husband is like, okay, I'm not committing to forever. I just wrote about this. I'm looking through. I'm like, I'm not committing to forever, but I am committing to until we renegotiate. So I think, no, I I think it would be disingenuous to say I was ever really monogamous by nature. I was just participating. Okay. And you're just carrying just a flat no. Yeah. I mean, certainly there's days that it's tempting and I can't say I haven't thought about it, especially post-divorce that, wow, life would be a whole lot easier and it would certainly be easier to meet people without saying, oh, and by the way, I'm bringing all these people (laughs) with me. Um, Is that okay? (laughs) Um, So there are days, you know, I had my moments where I sit in my car and I'm like, damn, it's so much easier if I just have one person to deal with, which isn't actually even true because even a monogamous relationship is not easy, quote unquote. But I also know that the moment I made that decision, I would be not happy and I wouldn't be my authentic self and it would just be a matter of time (laughs) before I would be wanting to, you know, so why even go down that path? Because I'm leading someone down a path that's not really me. So, um, 
I can't say that I wouldn't say there could be maybe times in my life where I would lead more of a monogamous life if, you know, if I only had one, I, mean, I don't feel like I have to have more than one partner at a time. Um, so I could see where I wouldn't have more than one person in my life, but it wouldn't be a, well, this is all I'm going to do now. <laughs> you know? So I think life sometimes can ebb and flow that way. But um, as far as a lifestyle choice, it, for me, it's not one I feel I can go backwards on. And I, I like to think of it as I, I put no limits on my relationships. So I'm willing to see what comes, right? <clears throat> and I think um, once I've tried that, like I have found a deep and abiding love that's not at all physical, not at all romantic with Karen. I mean, my best friend, it's, it's an amazingly intimate relationship. Um, you know, and I, I've developed those types of friendships once I opened myself to Polly. And I don't want to have to, I feel like if I were to go back and say, okay, I'm a monogamous person, then I wouldn't be able to have that deep a relationship and connection with her. That would not really be okay. And I'm not willing to give that up. So it's not even, I mean, maybe I could agree to say, okay, I'm only going to have sex with one person or I'm only going to be, I mean, you can only marry one person anyway, but I'm only going to be in this type of relationship with one person. But I would never be able to say that I can't allow for that deep, abiding, very intimate love. Mm -hmm. I just, I wouldn't be able to say that. Good. Fair enough. So, uh, Pollyanna, you mentioned a looking through us thing. Yeah. Jane, how can I find out more about that? It's looking through, T H R O U G H dot U S. So, looking through us. And uh, we publish new content every every week, sometimes more than once a week, but we'll, we try to commit to once a week. We welcome your questions. You guys, little uh, anonymous question box that you can totally. Um, Totally just type out your question and then I'll get back to you. Um, or we also are actively looking for people to share their poly experiences. So get in touch and we'll be happy to get your article out there. Great. And uh, carrying along with Pollyanna, you run the Poly Columbus group. How do I find out more about that? Um, there is a Yahoo group. I wish I knew it off the top of my just head. Google but if you poly Google Columbus. Poly Columbus, it will come up. Um, if I'm Special K on FetLife, I have a link on there that you can follow. Um, those Anonymously ask me a question being looking through, and I'll send you the site. <laughs> <laughs> Good deal. Thank you both very much for uh, being on the podcast today. Very much appreciate it. Thanks Thank for you. having us. Yeah. Oh, I don't need to turn it on. I never turned it on, to be honest. This is just fine. Oh. Karen. See, Karen, if you're dating anybody else, I didn't know you were that open. I said, Erotic Awakening is sponsored in part by Adventures in Sexuality, Central Ohio's Kinky Fun Group. Find out more about Adventures in Sexuality at adventuresinsexuality.org. Want to have your product, event, charity, or service as the first thing listeners hear about on our podcast? Make a donation to the podcast for a 10-second front bump on our show that re reaches listeners from around the world. What, what a bargain! bargain. <laughs> Contact us at Dan and Dawn at eroticawakening.com. Did you know you could buy the highly acclaimed books, Living MS, Sex Stories, and Power Exchange, and... That's it, by Dan and Dong. Or support them by buying Erotic Awakening t-shirts, messenger bags, or coffee mugs. All items can be found by simply visiting the shop and support pages of the Erotic Awakening website. Any dollar and 20 cents we make from anything sold on the site goes directly back to the continuing education mission of Erotic Awakening. Bye, Dan. Bye, Dong.